Hello and welcome to Cloud Insiders, the podcast that brings cloud down to earth, brought to you by Extrovert. Today I have the absolute privilege. I'm joined by Joe Bagley and Andrew Gomesall, who are just legends in the virtualization industry. I'm not. <laughs> in the, in the, I definitely I'm not. not. I mean, I'm a you can just stick yeah, to yeah. Joe. Yeah, there, there. <laughs> we have Joe Bagley, CTO of VMware and legend in the virtualization space. That's better. And we have Andrew Gomesall, MBE and former England rugby player there and the director of N2S. There you go. Guys, if I could get a quick introduction from the both of you, if I start with Joe, how you've got here, what you're doing, and I mean, it's got to be quite a large story, one would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so how did I get here? Where do you want me to start? <laughs> life stories. Yeah, life stories. No, I've been in IT now for, I was trying to add it up the other day, I think I started in about 94, I think, so that's a long 25 years. It what was it called? It wasn't called IT, was No, it, it wasn't called IT, I don't think, but yeah, so I've been in this space since then, but various bits and pieces in the 90s, but the, the sort of the important bit, I suppose, is that I've worked for a growing software company now for over 20 years. I worked for Quest Software for the first half of this century, and for the second half so far this century, I've worked now for VMware. And it's been really, really interesting and exciting sort of watching and working in a rapidly growing software company. And I've only in the last few years come to realize how special that is, because I meet a lot of other people that work in companies that aren't rapidly growing, and it's, it's a very different environment to live in. So yeah, it's very exciting. And Andrew, you've probably not come the most conventional route to working in IT. <laughs> no, completely not. But, but actually, I hold that sometimes a bit of a strength, you know, not knowing the history too, too much and, and looking forward because actually part of people's uh, challenge in IT is the transformation. They just can't get their legacy to a virtualized or new world. They're so big. But obviously, there's many ways to, to achieve that. But I sort of look at it as a fresh build. But no, I came blindly into this and literally knew what an Apple computer was. Well, the reason I love Apple is because that's what we did our video analysis through rugby on the guy that, that did, it, did it all. You know, he used an Apple and that's how I learned you know, to use a, a laptop. Yeah. It was of this guy you know, looking at video and you know, researching all of our games and looking at the opposition and all the strategy for the, the week was done through that. And, um, Which at the time you thought was magical future stuff by fairies, right? <laughs> I'm, 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 yeah, completely. Um, and, and, you know, Clive Woodward was the first to bring technology into sport. And, you know, he, he says that some of the forwards, once they realised, you know, what the internet was and what you could see on the internet, they really took to a laptop at that point. <laughs> and they love they technology. Um, but but genuinely, I think there was there was one thing where I think we all have these sort of these ideas in business, and we sort of put our head down and we sort of go and focus on it. It's the same in sport. You you sort of do your job, and you don't have the propensity to look up and see the opportunity. And he did that in technology. So we all we I think we lost against a, a team, and he, and we just said, look, there's no space. So he had this video analysis and uh, this new software where it showed every position where you were on the pitch almost like Sabutio, if you remember that game. And, um, and he did it. And literally, there was, I think it was against France, the whole of the French team were bunched in this little huddle like this. And we were spread across the pitch. And he said, you said there was no space, but look visually, you can see all the space. And we were just like, oh my God. So once we realized all of that, we really took to sort of technology. Um, so it became a sort of bit of a fascination. You know, to be in it now is, 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 is quite a fascinating time. Um, and, and, and why I'm enjoying where I'm at is that it's, it's still a sort of new part of the world of IT. I think sustainability is still it's a major, major topic. It's, it feels like a bit of a startup industry still right now. So that to what Joe's kind of been involved in and built, 
those decades, you know, I'm sort of the start, I feel, of that next revolution, really. Yeah, the Green Revolution. Yeah, exactly. Not, yeah. not to quote anyone particularly. No, <laughs> no, no. We'll, we'll, t- we'll take it. We'll coin it. So we're talking today entirely about environmental factors. So as you mentioned, N2S is all into sustainability in IT. And of course, VMware have done ridiculously huge things for the environment through virtualization. And you've got several green initiatives. Today, we've got you representing hardware and software, which is two sides of the coin. If we can start by bringing this down to software Mm -hmm. and the huge impact that virtualization has had on the world of IT and the world at large. How did the dawn of virtualization affect the environment? To the stats, I mean, we've got a lot of stats so far, and actually it's, um, we've avoided you know, 640 million metric tons of CO2 through virtualization, which is the equivalent of, I think last time it was if you get, I think it's Austria and Switzerland and Spain, or sort of three or four European countries, their total emissions for a year is the equivalent that's saved through virtualization, which is phenomenal. And that's obviously by running you know, a lot less servers than people would need to, which is you know, clearly the thing. It's worth rewinding a bit in history. So back, uh, oh, it must be 15 years ago or more now, I was asked by a friend who I'd been at university with to help him out with some stuff we were doing at the British Computer Society. And we helped form the data center specialist group for the British Computer Society. We were the first people to sort of point out that data centers were important to the British Computer Society. You know, who would have thought it? And, you know, that was only 15 years ago. <laughs> and actually what it was was he was being driven by the fact that People were trying to sell, he worked for a company that built and operated large data centers. So people come and trying to sell him equipment like, you know, HVAC equipment and say, here's some HVAC equipment, that will pay for itself in 18 months. And he was going, how do you prove that? How does that work? And so what we did was we then had to, that's why he asked me in, because I was quite good at the time at doing those kind of models, to start modeling data centers, to start modeling the energy usage in a data center. Because obviously if you want to work out with the HVACs, you know, the air cod essentially for those who are not using the um, that that's going to work and keep the thing cool and actually pay for itself, you have to model the energy usage and the energy efficiency of a data center. And during that, we got involved in, wow, this is really interesting because, wow, these data centers use a lot of power. And then we realized there were so many inefficiencies in the design of data centers, full stop. And so we then got involved in starting what became the European Code of Conduct for data centers. And so myself and other people in the committee, specifically Liam Newcomb and myself and a couple of others, wrote what became the best practices part of the EU Code of Conduct for data centers way back when. And it became a switch from, and bear in mind, I was a guy who wouldn't really think about the environment. I drove a V8 Range Rover. Well, I traded in an Audi S8 for, so I was hardly the most environmentally friendly person on the planet. And my friend who was involved was also a petrol head like me. And suddenly we were like, this is unbelievable. The amount of energy being used in these data centers is just outrageous. And the kit being used in them was just wrong. We had problems with non-linear power supplies. Now, this is a basic thing, but one worth understanding. A non-linear power supply means if you've got a server and that server has a 350 watt power supply. Typically a non-linear power supply, if the server has 0% load on it, will still be using about 280 watts. A linear power supply in a data center will be down to next to no power when the server's doing nothing and full power when the server's 100%. But back then, all the data, all the servers, they didn't actually make much difference realistically whether the server was doing anything or not. It was just the fact it was on, you know, so that kind of thing. And then we're looking through the best practices and actually we found one of the most effective best practices for virtualization, especially when you've got non-linear power supplies back in those days, but also now with linear power supplies, is to consolidate workloads onto fewer servers, which is where virtualization came in and all the sort of benefits of that. And so a lot of the technology we were doing back in the time was driven arguably around cost saving. It's cheaper to run on less servers. It's cheaper to you know, turn your servers off at night because you're paying higher electricity bills. And in fact, once you've built a data center, the number one biggest cost of that data center is the power, right? And so ways to reduce that power were, were, were huge. And that's also paid off from an environmental perspective. So it's kind of been a win-win in that respect. 
Once we at VMware then started to realize that there was a benefit to the environment around virtualization, it was something, we, well, that's actually something we can drive down harder. And that's, I suppose, what we've been doing more recently and looking more effectively into how we can even better help the environment more than we have through, through technology using virtualization. So really, you know, that, that's kind of driven the, the last few years of what we're doing. So the first part was like, wow, this is, you know, doing it, not, I'm not going to say by accident, but by design. And it was then, okay, fine, how can we do more and more here? So, you know, things got like DRS and other things that will move workloads around and shut them down based on, on usage is really important. Yeah. I guess the return on investment was about finance yeah. rather than the benefits of, oh, by the way, you've just saved carbon emissions. Totally. Yeah. You know, I, no, I, one, I, no one thought about that. that no wasn't one, a, 15 years ago, no one cared about yeah, that. Right? Exactly, there, weren't, yeah. there wasn't even carbon credit schemes, yeah. right? which we then started talking about to people as part of the code of conduct. Because I, I was going to people, if I went to you and said, actually, I'm going to halve the energy bill for your data center, you'd be like, yeah, tell That's me right. what to do next. You know, how does that work? Or if I could then, with a proper financial model and a, a data model that actually looks you know, physically at what's going on in the data center, I'd say, okay, if you did this, this, and this, bought these racks, did that, did that, you'd be able to run 10 times the processing for two-thirds of the cost, and you suddenly go, okay, fine, that makes sense. So yeah, we did it then. And then actually the benefit has been around, you know, the energy consumption being reduced. Obviously, then the secondary effect is you then look at what's the type of energy going to the data center, and you know, there's a whole separate conversation to go on about that. And you know, now the cloud providers have, have done a lot in that space. But I mean, a lot of people argue and look at cloud and go, well, cloud's really bad because you know, these cloud providers are using all this power and energy. When in fact, actually, and Andy Jassy of AWS argues this quite well, that really, you know, there's stuff going on in the cloud that would have been done on far bigger, uglier, less efficient servers in people's data centers. So it's actually you know, though that cloud might, might not be supplied by the greenest of power today, at least it's using less of that yeah. than it would have done over here. So, you know, that, that's one sort of way of thinking about Again, it. Again, that's just the data coming back and attributing, and that's where we come in, is that kind of decommissioning part is, you know, what have we saved by turning this data center, turning it down, consolidating it, or literally closing it? Yeah. Nobody then goes, well, that's the benefit of doing that. They just kind of, it's always forward thinking. Yeah. There's no sort of retrospective look back and think. Uh, some people do it very, very effectively and do it very well. But I think to sort of look at what you were discussing before, Joe, when, when you put together the proof of concept and you put it all together is putting everything in and then you get your return. But there's an embodied carbon piece that people don't look into this, right? So there's or embedded carbon, depending on how you want to look at it, right? So once I've made a server, there's a certain amount of carbon and energy and effort that was gone into building that server. You can't ever get that back. So what you can do is you can make the most out of what you've done in putting that into it. So I think you may go, okay, fantastic, we've turned all this stuff off, but what about all the embedded carbon in that stuff? If you just take that and bin it, then actually you're doing a disservice to the planet to an extent. What you should be doing is saying, okay, well, if I can run this still efficiently on a, to do something else in a more consolidated way, then maybe that should be repurposed. So maybe people shouldn't be buying brand new servers. What they should be doing is going, so actually, I don't need a brand new server to do this. What I need is maybe one that's two years old that will do the same job. And that's, yeah. you know, again, where it comes to make a bit more sense. I'm asking the question, really, is that are you guys, as consultants and software provider, are you doing the vendor's job in a lot of ways? There's plenty of groups now in data center world that are trying to really nail down what you just described. What, what, what is that carbon that the vendor has, you know, so that information? Carbon, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't think that that's ever been kind of publicly put out there. No, we've uh, not really done that. I mean, so we... You've been, all the stuff that you've been doing has yeah. been kind of brushing over the fact that that point that you just made is nobody ever thought about that bit. But we can only do, so I'm a software company, yeah. we can only do what we have power over to an extent, I suppose you want to look at it that way. So way back when, again, back in the BCS days, 
one of the predictions I made was I said at some point people would, because you know, people don't care. When you write an application, do you care about how much energy it uses? Not really, no. But when you start to go to cloud-based billing and you start to then go to serverless and things like that where people bill you per line of code, then you might start to care about how efficient your code is. Mm. And way back when, when we started to look at this, I was saying, we started to say people will start to write code or favor more efficient code because it costs less to run. And so, again, yes, when you go and look at cloud, what you're being exposed to is it's a majority energy cost of running what you want to do. So I think cloud has helped us in that way in exposing the energy cost of running that application. So we are now favoring, hopefully, more efficient applications because they cost less to run because they're using less resources. And again, it's that old billing model in a... In any large old enterprise, you had the data center, which just, there was a department of people that just filled the data center with kit, and then there were other people came along and used the kit, and very rarely they tied the kit up to the user, and the, the, the costs were never borne through, and it was just, we had this cost of the data center and whatever. And, and that was, again, what we found was when the number of people where the data center people weren't even seeing the electricity bill, because that was dealt with another department, which was like Completely. the corporate power. Completely. You know. yeah. So when this has all started to be tied together, and when you're providing a cloud service, you have to tie it together, otherwise you can't cost it properly. I think we're starting to see these models. So we actually came up with, um, it was a sort of Skunkworks project amongst the C2 ambassadors, amongst VMware, of this sort of carbon calculator that can look at your existing environment and work out how you could get efficiencies around what you're doing in your virtualized environment um, based on what you have. But again, it's not looking at it from a hardware perspective. It's looking at it from a pure sort of software and, and how much energy that hardware is using. It's an overhead. It's not looking at what's the embodied carbon of the, of the kit that we're using and what's the life cycle of that and where does that go afterwards, which I know where you play quite yeah. heavily is, yeah. you know, making sure we get the absolute most out of that before we finally say, right, there's nothing I can do with that. Yeah. You know, and we and other things have made a massive difference in this space, but what, do you think they go far enough or not? So the answer is no, but all the effort to do that, what is the benefit? Uh, and what we're trying to show is there is a benefit. So does it, is that then attributed to the person that, that bought the, the kit to start with? Yeah. Uh, offsetting their original carbon uh, negativity. And so we're trying to say that reuse is a very healthy place to be. We're a service provider that reuses it elsewhere for another customer potentially, yeah. rather than them reusing it in their own infrastructure. It's how you attribute that. And there are ways of doing that. And that's what we're trying to create is almost a sustainability dashboard right. to say everything that you've got rid of has an implication for you positively to get you to net zero, which, you know, is that a so goal? So you're almost giving credit back for people giving completely, you old kit? Completely. Right, okay, because completely. that's going to be reused through you exactly. as opposed to being thrown away. Exactly. So there's a whole system picture here, I suppose. Correct. Really. Okay. Correct. Right. And, it, and it's the same with, in the, you know, we're in logistics as well. So mm -hmm. there's forward and reverse logistics. Not too many people join the two together. The data from reverse logistics is just so retrospective, it never gets kind of joined up. And that's what we're trying to sort of achieve, really. There are companies with unbelievable consolidation programs. I mean, years and years. You figure the, great, the biggest service provider in the UK, their consolidation program for the next 15 years is absolutely massive. Mm -hmm. You know, as a, as a small business, as an SME, we are not, you'd have to have 10 to 20 companies like us to do the consolidation. That's how big it, it is. So we're, we're all talking about the future and you know, cloud and virtualization. And I'm looking at stuff of legacy going, it's still whirling around and it's still, you know, so I always looked at a data center as a farmyard and it's a building, you know, as a site. Yeah. And there are so many sites full of legacy infrastructure that's still whirling away and still being used. 
and it's absolutely core to people's businesses. You think of the transport, transport network and what a revolution we're going to be going through on, on the transport network is just crazy. And yet we're still using some of the old stuff. I mean, it's, it's absolutely frightening. So my point being is that with this sustainability agenda, there is, a, there is an absolute mass. So everyone's going, how are we going to get to net zero? There is a ton of things you can do to kind of offset it. And it's all to do with the consolidation piece. Yeah. But yet that's where the, the data is weak. And we're trying to do the consolidation in software too, right? So we're trying to avoid that. And what we're trying to do is drive asset sweating, I suppose, if you want to look at it that way. There's this, you know, there's this tendency in that we have this thing called fast fashion, right, in the real world where it's you know, horrendous for the environment, where you, know, you go to these shops where it's you know, new clothes every week almost. Yeah. There's a fast fashion in technology as well. Or, you know, servers get to three years old, we refresh them. Servers get to five years old, we refresh them or whatever. And sometimes it's almost like, why are we refreshing it? Because well, we always refresh at three years or five years, you know, like lease cars. You know? Yeah, completely. And, and that made sense in the old non-virtualized world, because in the old non-virtualized world, you'd, you'd have Project X, you'd go and buy the service for Project X, you'd put the service Project X in a data center, Project X would work, and then maybe five years down the line, someone go, Project X is a bit flaky. Right, let's start Project Y. You'd get the new kit for Project Y, migrate from X to Y and burn Project X. And that's basically how IT works forever, yeah, yeah. right? And yeah. It still works to this extent. Correct. What we're looking at is thinking of looking at the data center much more as one big computer. And so every element that you put into that is just adding into the pool of resources that are available to people to use rather than being assigned specifically to one person. So that virtualization layer we put across the top of storage compute and networking means that there's a great benefit as a, as a consumer because what you're doing is you're saying, okay, well, every three months I'm going to put new kit into my data center. But the great thing is because of virtualization, I can move all my most important stuff to run next day on the brand new faster processors or the faster storage because it's just added to the pool. I don't have to change the apps. I just, but what that means is the older stuff can start to shift left or shift right depending on which side you're standing at and move further and further down the chain. So you might find that, yes, the old, less important stuff, the not so business critical, the overnight data analysis things, whatever, yeah, they're, they're running on service from eight years ago or seven years ago, you know, at the very edge to the point where, you know, end of life starts to become a much longer story. But what we're doing by putting that layer of virtualization software across is we're smoothing that out. We're making it a lot easier for you to shift hardware around as opposed to, as you well know, it's incredibly tied to a particular project, a particular, yeah. you know, piece of infrastructure, that's to do with that. Yeah. We're trying to say, no, let's just break all that down. You know, and that's what, I suppose, private cloud, if you, there is such a thing, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And so it would be much more for, you know, someone, there's no reason why someone couldn't inject rather than brand new kit into that picture. They could inject some, some used kit into that picture yeah, that's completely. just as good, you completely. know. And what you start to say is, okay, actually, because we've literally, long word, disintermediated the apps from the hardware, you're not down to buying this particular vendor or this particular hardware or this particular thing. You can go, right, is it x86 or does it support one gig Ethernet? You know, great, fine. Let's bolt it in and add it to the pool. That's what we're trying to do. And yeah. so, you you know, again, from a sustainability perspective, it might mean that you're not always out there buying brand new stuff. Yeah. You know. And you're right. We're, we're a projectized business for that reason. Um, but also, it sounds like it's going to just be mainly a utility. There's going to be less of concern about exactly what, you know, if it is brand new or versus... It's a kind of second user, and it's just it becomes a utility rather than yeah. just sexy, cool, brand new. When you, you go know, and, latest, when greatest you, thing. When you go and rent your virtual machine from Amazon, do you know what server it's running on? Completely. Right? No, or any of the service Completely. providers. You know, there's a, there's a limited few of them that will you buy specific hardware. But in most cases, you don't care whether it's one year old or three year old. Is it running fast enough? Does it meet the spec you want? Yeah. That's the answer, right? Yeah.
So Andrew, we said with N2S, you focus on the reusing of things and you say that when you get something new, you could put something front and center and the old stuff slowly moves mm. left and right. When something does become unusable or, you know, sometimes things get shipped out to other countries and essentially, I think I was reading on your website, just put into landfill or yeah, set completely. on fire. Yeah. What's N2S doing to kind of circumvent that? Yeah, well, I think we've always come at it from a recycling. So the, uh, our terminology, I think, is weak and... and Disposal, recycling, yeah, they all they kind of mean different things to different people. And that's where I think our terminology is it needs refining. So disposal can mean reusing sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, we've di we've disposed of it as a as a customer. Therefore, I've just kind of thinking in my brain it's gone into a bin, or actually it's being reused. So it's understanding that supply chain and actually what happens. The reality in all of this is if you dispose of something in, as a client, do you understand what's happening next? Now, the market decides what's really happening because our world is still driven by economics and value. Mm. So we've come at it from a recycling world where there's always a value. You break it down and we do everything very old school by hand. So yes, we have machinery, but we still look after the products so we want it disassembled, you know, really meticulously into its component parts. And so we know, we understand its lowest value, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, some of it is hazardous material and there is a cost to it. So when you're disposing, you're actually having to spend money to dispose of it versus there's a value to it. So a server, I, we love servers because they're, they're beautiful pieces of you know, uh, ingenuity in terms of when you break it down, how much wonderful material is in that, in that product. Yeah. So, and that has a value because in a sustainable world, actually the reason it's so important now is we're running out of these materials to manufacture yeah so for me our raison d'etre at the moment on a macro is that loop how are the vendors and the people that manufacture so a huge supply chain i mean you're talking of all the vendors in the world they've all got very you know very disparate very different supply chains to then manufacture again there are Vendors that are stipulating we will not manufacture with virgin material in the future. Now, there's no set date on that. Yeah. But they're, they're, the view is from a sustainable message is we can't keep drilling into the uh, earth to get these materials. You know, the gold, the platinum, the palladium, indium that goes into touchscreen technology. We, we can't keep because actually we're running out. Yeah. It's harmful to the environment and we're running out. So my question and our raison d'etre is to kind of create that supply chain where we're looping back in the material that you manufactured 10 years ago that material how do we get it back into a form where you can remanufacture with the material not not yeah. it's not like a carcass build or like a second user take the, the like his coat off yeah, and yeah. then you've got all the materials inside no we're talking about the, the whole of the yeah, yeah. the whole minerals and materials yeah so but, but the reuse element has always been there once we get a server into our into our building, there's a tipping point, and it's a it's of a monetary value, and you just go, it's it's recycling, yeah. Versus we're going to reuse this, but and there's there's ways you can harvest it. So plenty of the vendors harvest the materials or the products within the server. Yeah. So they'll take this out and they'll take that out, and we separate everything, and they can reuse those elements. But 
realistically, I mean, lots of product lines as well. That's one of the other things. I mean, Cisco has 20,000 product lines, you know, 20,000 different bits of equipment that yeah. has to be manufactured in a certain well, there's, way. There's so, element to that where you're supporting massive, old kit as well, right? So someone will yeah. phone you up and they're running a 10-year-old thingy and they can't actually buy the modules completely, from the 10-year-old thingy anymore, but you've see, got one on the shelf. Yeah, right? yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You yeah. know, you see it, in we go, and, and, there, and there it sat. Um, so that's the reason. That, 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 that will always be the case. But, you know, and this comes back to the history of myself coming into it quite blindly. It's kind of the manufacturers need to make a decision on are you going to really reuse? So HP are a great company that have a, a reuse department and they, they've got some wonderful. But there's this, this kind of line of that's going against our sales teams that are selling new, you know, and it's kind of like I despair at that, that sort of narrative it's just that's it's just how you drive the comp plans though yeah, yeah i'm intrigued on your, true, yeah, on your recycling bit though so that really intrigues me so yeah. i'm a judge in a thing called the global good awards which is about if you want to summarize it's about profitable sustainability yep. a lot of sustainability costs right you have to spend to be sustainable yep. we all look at it you know you want to put solar panels in your house you want to put batteries oh, yeah. on the side it, it, it costs money yeah however if we can make it such that the sustainable option is the cheaper option then we win right Completely. literally we win so in that prospect, how close do you think we are with some of these raw materials that it's cheaper to use the reclaim raw materials than it is to use them remine? You know, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that, I do, that, absolutely. That yeah. What's your view I think, on that? Um, I think the tipping point, if you think about the monopoly that was in the jewellery market, in diamonds Well, the invention of the price of a diamond. Yeah, right, yeah, 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 completely. So to kind of look at that line, and there is a tipping point where we're actually desperate now. We've run out. It's just highlighting mobile devices. You know, we're getting and you more do a lot of mobile phones. We right? do, yeah. Lot, yeah. But not, you know, we're not a major player, but you know, we are starting to see a lot of mobile phones and mobile phones definitely need to be reused. But then 5G is coming and oh, all right. of our phones, they, they're not 5G compatible. So yeah. suddenly <laughs> there's a tipping point in A, a the technology and, and kind of how it's run and what mm. it's run, but also the material, us running out. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's the tipping point rather than it being the cost part. We feel like we're a million miles away from that, actually. But actually what we should be doing is accelerating, going what's right for the environment rather than the, the, the economics. The economics should work and they will work. They should follow faster, I Correct. think, is the point, really. Correct. But that point should be that it must get to the point at some point where it's going to be it's cheaper to buy unobtainium from you than it is to go and mine unobtainium out the ground. Completely, right? yeah. and that's, that's where it should get yeah, to. Yeah, you can't even see us in this whole table here. You can't even see <laughs> us at the moment in the grand um, far too the, the companies. Though. No, but it's true, <laughs> but it is true. That if you don't share it, the art of the possible, mm. you know, and, and I, think, I think it was Dell that was reusing plastics for a certain type of uh, laptop. You know, that was a start. And Dell's also doing it for plastic. They're doing it with, um, re they're using reclaimed ocean plastic for their packaging. So there's a whole bunch of stuff. The, I mean, the supply chain is endless in terms of sustainability. That's what's yeah. so exciting once you start. But I would, I would always go back to the actual hardware itself because that's, that's actually the potential inefficiency and where the, the water that goes into garment as well as making brand new, you know, we've got a real water crisis coming, you know. We're, something's got to kind of change. It's, it's good that you talked about companies wanting to be, it's the right thing to do rather than the, you know, the, the commercial. You know, that, that for me is what sort of strikes home at VMware is we, we quite often do a lot of it's the right thing to yeah. do rather than it's just the commercially yeah. right thing to do. And yeah. that's, that's, you know, we are tech. It's not a share issue, price decision. It's a no, it's a, it's a right thing to do. And the people that work for the company feel that we're doing the right thing when we do it. So, you know, a lot of the activities that we do are along those lines yeah. specifically. And I think we're seeing that across the board actually. We're starting to see that, you know, companies realizing that actually doing the right thing is just as important in terms of attracting customers as doing, you know, the commercially 
most lucrative thing, should I say? Yeah, I think the, the shift is, I, I, I said it in a couple of things that I've been speaking about, the, the shift really from the employee, so, you know, fantastic brand that you guys have and it oozes out sustainability and then that helps the employees buy mm. into it as well. Whereas I think there are some companies where the employees doing the opposite, they're trying to share with their own business about sustainability. And I think that that was around Sky News and the oceans and the plastic yeah. and, and this whole, you know, the blue planet. And it's just amazing seeing what bad we're doing to our environment is so visible now, yeah. you know, across the board through the start of Sky News that actually employees are starting to go to their own companies and saying, we what, what it, yeah, we can do something. We should be doing something rather than, well, it's going to cost money. And, you oh, know, no, for us, it, you know, it, it has to come from the top. For us, it's come from the top, the very top. And all of us in the senior management you know, believe in this as a company. You can see that just, just being here, right? It's not just about having electric car chargers in the car park. It's about the customers come to work and they feel that their mere act of coming to work isn't doing harm. And in fact, it's doing good. You yeah. know, we hit last year our carbon neutral target. We've also hit our 100% renewable power supply target globally. So, you know, it's those things mean a lot to Massive, the employees. Yeah. You know, when you, the celebration we have internally when those things happen is huge. But that's very important to how we do things at, at VMware, you know, and we're looking to drive that in, in other ways that we behave. And I think the more we can get companies realizing that behaving ethically and, and in the right way, you know, this is, um, there's, there's a whole bunch of other initiatives as well outside of sustainability, but um, you know, specifically yeah, sustainability, yeah. That we, we have a strong belief in that. Yeah. I mean, do you think that's something that runs through N2S? You, when you talk about we do sustainable thing, do you think the employees feel they're doing good in what they're doing in their job? Is yeah, that... I mean, we're so visible, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> we have warehouses full of equipment ready to be processed for either reuse or recycling. Um, so it's so visible. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, we have one client at the moment with over 6,000 pallets to get rid of, and they've had them for, let's just say, a decade. Amazing. I mean, it's, it's staggering. And that, that's a series of their customers, and you know, they're a logistics business. Mm. And it's, it's quite scary once you start to ask the question. I, well, yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's 6,000 You pass them by on the M40 and the M1. You pass those big buildings. Yeah, I know. Those, you don't buildings, know what's are in being, yeah, those buildings are being heated. They're yeah, being yeah. lit. They're being, they're, they're being built, you know, yeah. just to house Maybe stuff. not the, these ones that we go to. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they, our staff understand because they're... I saw the UN saying that 2020, decade for delivery, really? around UN sustainable goals. Yes. Um, and I kind of like that because, you know, we, you look forward, you all, we always look forward. In our business, you have to look backwards a lot of the time. And a lot of companies, just by focusing on forward and focusing on you, they, they've done nothing for so long. You know, we have a, a responsibility in marketing and not sharing exactly yeah. those best practices and what you should be doing also the guidance so we had the we directive the we directive was 2007 that's really old, i mean yeah. we're 2020 now you know so there's there's a lot of information think, that but you mentioned the un sdgs there and a lot of people don't know what the un sdgs no, completely, are yeah right? and you so know. that's what they're saying is this is the year that you know part of the sdgs is sharing those you know just from a education piece is so that's the, tell your customers tell your friends tell your there are 17 sdgs you know tell them and you know and not everyone can do you know vmware no, so would tick a lot we, of those we, boxes we mainly but, focus on nine which is yeah, the infrastructure one so yeah. but if you ask someone at vmware they will tell you they know about the sdgs yeah. they know that we mainly focus on sdg9 i do a lot of work personally on sdg9 but because but I'm surprised I'm a people you go to and they, you know, they see that little badge with the, the 17 set and they have yeah. no idea. What's that? Is that yeah, gay price? Yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. that's 15. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's fascinating. It is. And so I think 
So this this decade is is kind of looking forward. I think you know we've we've had the plastics kind of revolution of you know you you see it just consumer wise and how wasteful we are and the oceans are full of plastic, and we've had that and now I think there's going to be a sort of you know my being in a family business my father's always dealt with metals, mm. you know and, and that's you know predominantly what makes IT. So you know we've had the plastic and yes plastic is part of uh, IT. But I think the revolution coming is is around, you know, and, it, and we recycling's always been the case in, in steel and, you know, and copper and gold and, you know, it's always been the case. But I think as we are making more and more devices, which we are, you know, you know mm. different kinds of devices, smaller, less probably needing the materials, but still hungry for certain different materials. This is an era and a re revolution of how the hell do we reuse these? So we've got a cool new technology that, that's um, not harmful to the environment, basically separating because we're, we kind of glue it all together, don't yeah. we? And we solder it all. And, and then how do, you, how do you reverse that? So yeah. we found a way to reverse that and separate those metals. Wow. Completely uh, unharmful to the environment. Basically, it's called bioleaching. It's happened in the mining uh, industry. It exists today. So if you went home and looked it up, it exists. But nobody's really looking at it in a large scale in terms of you know returning the materials to how they once were. From, wow! For, yeah. And so it, how does that it, work? It, Go on it, it revolves around. Give us the idiots going yeah, to no, It revolves around the uh, circuit boards. So that's where okay. the gold is pretty much is in the circuit circuitry circuit boards. So it's separating the gold, the copper, the platinum, palladium. And what we've been doing with circuit boards for generations is burning it or using acids, which is incredibly you know, harmful. Yeah, twice, twice. Lots of processes just completely. to make the acid the first Completely. Place. So you, you, you talked about, you know, where's the tipping point? And I'm thinking these are major industries, yeah, yeah. big businesses. Um, even I know a vendor that went in to see how they extract the precious metals and there was a door and they weren't allowed to go in that door sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're kind of going, okay, so... This industry, it's been incredible. It's had such positivity economic wise. You know, it's powerful because you're getting the materials back. You're trading gold and copper and yeah, it's a big, big industry. But what are they doing to protect the environment? And that's the questions that's going to happen. But we found a way that it works for the environment. It works economically um, and it's kind of perfect for the reverse of. And then you have this material and where does it go? So. There's a, it's a minefield of conversation with supply chain and manufacture and, 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 and. But the point is, is that when you come to buy these devices, if a client, a consumer, a business is looking at that and you support the goals, you're, you want to buy something that has had, you know it's due diligence of it's how it's been manufactured. Well, it's the provenance is important as well. Yeah. Okay. So that's where the value is potentially you know, going to be huge for the future. So have you got a load of gold bars in your office then? Not yet. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. But the amazing thing is, is you don't have to go and buy it. The feed is there. Yeah, yeah. It's massive. It's huge. Yeah. And when you, when you actually open up a server, I mean, these things are just incredible, incredible bits of technology. I'm, I'm thinking through materials. what I've got in my garage now yeah. stacked up that I could be, be making some money from the, there, the, definitely. Uh, the interest van will be uh, popping. Yeah, just pop them around in Marlow. You know where it is. Come and yeah. pick one up. Yeah. So, yeah, another world. Do you see in the next kind of decade a lot of the stuff we've already sent to landfill in other countries we might end up buying back or do you reckon not really no i think they they, they are literally dead and buried you know there are uh mining of you know landfill sites uh, there but i think yeah, no, no well <laughs> it, it's 
you know, the jury's out, but I think there's, I think those are buried yeah. for good. Uh, and, and certainly there won't be much metal in there, that is for sure. So there's enough of a problem. And then you think about batteries for the future with the, the, the new um, EV revolution. Yeah, that will, again, we will have to have a form of environmental sustainable recycling of the yeah. batteries so that they can be reused. That's an interesting um, point, though. The battery recycling, this is the fun thing. So the battery recycling industry hasn't started yet mm. because there's not the availability of batteries to recycle yeah. yet. Mm. And they're going to last long. And they're so lasting they're ten, longer than people years. expect. Yeah. Yeah. So the battery, all these EVs, people go, oh, they only last three years and you have to spend 10,000 pounds. Rubbish. Yeah. All these batteries and all these electric cars are lasting way too long, so long that there's not enough of them to start a sustainable yeah, exactly. recycling business in yeah. batteries yet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It'll come in time. But I think when you look at that, that's a really good example of where reuse is being thought about from the start. So you, know, you put it in a car for 10 years, then you take it out of a car, and literally, integrally as it is, you bolt it to the side of a house, and then you use it to back up solar panels for another 10 or 15 years. And then, at the end of all that, the best thing about it is, literally 99.99% of the minerals in it, you can reclaim out of it to go and use again to build another one. They don't get used up. So whenever people talk about, sorry, I'm going to go on a small rant, but people talk about, oh, lithium, there's not enough lithium. It's like, but the best thing about lithium is we only need to dig it up once. Yeah. Oil, we dig it up, burn it, and it's gone. Lithium, we dig it up once, and then it's, we've got yeah. it forever. Yeah. And we'll just keep using it. We don't throw it away in any way. We very yeah. carefully keep it, and all the other stuff that's in those batteries, you know, that's really important. I mean, it does the get to this. The quicker we can get to that, isn't it, really? Mm. Uh, the infrastructure needs to improve, but the quicker we can get to that, then we have a proper sustainable vertical, really. Yeah. That's and are, are you noticing, circling back to reuse over recycling, are you noticing any nervousness when it comes to people wanting to give up their hardware just out of a security breach point of view? Are they... um, it's mainly uh, because they're not sure what to do. So they just kind of hold on is the, is the default. Yeah. There's an element of our job is to you know, provide that managed piece but yeah, you can wipe the data and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, you can that's do all of that, yeah. So that, that, that's sort of, you can wipe it. You can do it yourself. You don't need somebody like us to do it. Yeah. Although people just kind of go, I don't want the admin, I don't want the, the pain. You do it. And so we will. And therefore, we do it to reuse it. So we don't want to just shred it and destroy it. Working with somebody like DEFRA is really important to us because, you know, there's a big play on sustainable in... It was termed ICT, now it's just straight to <laughs> IT because no one says ICT apparently anymore. So it's around the sustainable part of IT. We're working with them to stop something like incineration because plenty of government departments are saying, we need to incinerate it. No, you don't. Right. It's harmful to the environment. You do not need. There is enough great software. There is machinery that destroys it to a certain level. No one's ever going to get that data. Why are we incinerating? And so we're trying to stop as part yeah, of a, a group. Yeah, we're trying to stop as a group just taking incineration out because it's now, just if, not, not if someone needed. If someone comes to you, is, is, the, is a hard drive more valuable shredded or intact? Does it not matter to you? Um, no, it, it does matter. It's, it's better to wipe it and reuse it, obviously, for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. So intact and then commercially it's better that, in that regard. Obviously. Um, there are companies that just have a zero tolerance. We will never reuse them just for fear of this, that, that overwrite hasn't properly worked and some data's leaked. So they will have a zero tolerance and we will erase, destroy, shred, and we'll do all of those yeah. things. That's just part of the, okay. the managed service and you, whatever they, they want. You can steer somebody, you can advise somebody, but I think there's still that human visibility of I've seen it shredded, I know that it will never come yeah. back into to play. Mm -hmm. And there is still a legacy of people that are zero tolerance to pretty open, whatever, I'm happy you're using that software.
But we, we, we know we want to reuse everything. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a clear plan. But demand is telling you reuse is effective rather than we're trying to drive it at the moment. The honesty is, is if, it, if it's worth money, then we'll reuse it. That's the crux of it. Yeah. So uh, playing devil's advocate a little bit when coming back down to this energy usage yeah. kind of situation, uh, is it always best to hold on to your own, old stuff or when we're in the land of um, hyper-converged and composable infrastructure, is it sometimes worth getting the biggest, brightest, newest from the perspective that will eat a lot less power? Is it everything so much more efficient now? I think the answer is you need to make an evaluation at that point. There's no yes or no to that, right? So there will be situations where when you look at both the embodied carbon in the manufacture of the device and then the ongoing running cost of that device, you actually find it's more expensive to the environment to do that than it would be to just keep running what you're running. Mm. At the same time, you've got to look at that on the flip side is, okay, how much is, and that embedded carbon is actually exposed to you in the cost of the device, right? So does it cost me a lot of money to buy the hardware? That's one way to look at it, right? And so anyone's going to look at that. You know, if I spend £10,000 to save myself £5,000 on, on electricity, then obviously that's going to pay for itself in two years. That's a no-brainer. So you've got to look at it that way too. I don't think, you know, we've got to a point now with a lot of things where the optimization around energy has pretty much gone of, you know, as far as it can in a lot of data centers that we go and see in terms of the new kit that's going in. They are linear power supplies. They are much better managed. They're you know, much more efficient in everything that they do in every possible way. And that's just what's happened with the hardware. So, you know, I'm not going to argue that, you know, hyper-converged or composable infrastructure, you want compostable infrastructure is what you're looking for, really. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, but composable infrastructure and those kind of things, they're, they're a great answer to actually making something last longer. So, you know, so in that context, if I've got hyper-converged or composable, it fits much better into that model that I talked about before, where that thing could potentially exist for many years, having different types of workloads on it, because it it, it's easier to reconfigure on the fly and, mm. and reapply things to. It's not quite so job dedicated. So actually, I would say, if you're taking stuff that's already being used as universal virtualized hardware and replacing it with hyper-converged stuff, that maybe might not have quite the benefit that you're expecting in terms of, you know, carbon impact or energy impact. But yes, certainly, if you're taking something that's dedicated hardware or semi, even if it's virtualized, virtualized dedicated hardware and going to, you know, universally available, throw it into the pool of resources hardware, then that's obviously going to be a benefit. And hyperconverged is the way that we're seeing people do that more than anything else because it's the easy way to do it. Yeah. It's that Lego building block. You buy something that's got onboard storage, compute, and, you know, networking ports on it, and bang, that's your next building block. You just keep whacking them in and they'll age over time. So... Yeah, it's, it's not a yes and no answer to that question. There's a lot of variables involved. Probably where the carbon calculator comes back into it. Can help with some of that, yeah, definitely, yeah. And you were saying uh, about the electricity and servers, that's been the major cost of data centers. Does that ring true for all the cooling as well? Yeah, so... You kind of buy into the people putting their data centers in remote Scandinavian countries. Totally, yeah, yeah, entirely. So when you look at, when you look at a data center, the, the very crude metric that you look at is uh, PUE, which is power usage effectiveness, which is essentially, if I take one unit of data in, how much of that, one unit of power in, mm -hmm. how much of that power actually gets to the equipment, okay? And how much of it is taken up with the supporting functions around the equipment. There's an inverse of that, which is, um, you know, one over that. But basically, if you talk about PUE, you talk about, if I've got a PUE of two, thereby what that means is I need to take in two units of electricity for every one unit that I actually use. Now, that's pretty bad, yeah. really. What you want to get, obviously, is one, which is you know perfect, perfection. right? Perfection. Every unit I get in, but of course, there's always going to be overheads of some form. Now, those overheads typically are power and cooling, and the power and cooling overheads are exactly that: the stuff running the UPSs, the stuff running the transformers, and then the cooling to actually keep the data center running as it is. What you'll start to find is that you go, okay, fine. Well, how do I start to reduce my PUE? 
Now, here's the other interesting thing. You can't compare PUEs between facilities, right? Okay. Because that data center over there with a PUE of 2 might be better, actually, than a data center with a PUE over here of 1.5, okay? Because it depends what the compute itself is doing, you know, what's it being used for, and also where's that power coming from and what type of power is it, okay? So you can have a PUE of less than 1. Right. So how do you get a PUE of less than 1? How do you get a PUE of 0.8? Generate your own power. Yeah. It's that simple, right? So or get to the point where you get to combined heat and power. Battersea Power Station is the way to think about this, right? So Battersea Power Station used to have active cooling, and the cooling that was used used to use hot water pipes. Those hot water pipes are then delivered to heat the water in the local properties. So the houses around Battersea, so combined heat and power, it's called CHP. I've seen people where they've had data centers where the cooling pipes of the data centers are used to heat the municipal swimming pool for the council whose data center it is. So that's where you can start to get PUEs of less than one. How do you lower your PUE drastically? Reduce your cooling requirements. How do you reduce your cooling requirements? Put your data center somewhere cooler. Yeah. So yeah, go and build them up north. The ideal is to go and build them in Iceland. Why build them in Iceland? Well, because actually in Iceland, you never actually actively need to cool the data center. You just use fresh air cooling, which is a part of saying open the window and put a fan in it, right? <laughs> There's an element of dehumidification that has to go on to dry the air out a bit, because obviously these things yeah. don't like to run in completely you know, in high humidity. But at the same time, the power that you're pulling in from Iceland, entirely green. It's yeah. all hydro, it's all geothermal. You can't get greener than that. So actually, from a carbon perspective, it's fabulous. From a PUE perspective, you can get stupidly low, even less than one PUE. It's really interesting where you can go with this. And there's really cool, interesting things. I've, I've been on lots of data center tours as part of this job. <laughs> um, I've seen adiabatic cooling, which is where you dribble it down a, a sheet and, and it evaporates. So it's essentially evaporative cooling. There's a whole bunch of new and exciting ways of doing this. But also, there's been a change in, in the kit that we put in data centers. Now, the interesting thing about data centers is that all the specs for putting kit in data centers we found back in the day when we started playing this game were written for what temperature is a computer room normally? Off the top of your head? 21 degrees. 21 degrees. Why is that? Ambient room temperature made everything work perfectly. No, humans. We like to be comfortable. Correct. So old data centers used to have humans in them. The operators had to live in them. So you, what we did was we built all the kit to operate at human temperatures. Right? And so if you start to go, now we've got to dark data centers where you don't send humans in them very often, you can run your data center at 30 degrees centigrade, which means it needs a lot less cooling. Fantastic, right? Suddenly, you've got far less requirements on cooling. Kit actually maybe runs a bit better at 30 degrees than it does whatever. There is a thermal breakover point with silicon, which is a whole separate podcast. But um, in essence, you can run your kit warmer. You can run it in humidity levels that are different because, again, those humidity specs were set around humans. Not computers. <laughs> so, yeah. so we're building on a set of standards for data centers that were based around people being in them, and people don't need to be in them anymore. Yeah. Right? So start thinking differently. And if you start thinking differently, you start thinking, OK, I don't need humans being there. I can run. Forget hot and cold aisle separation. I'll just have the whole thing running at 30 degrees. Or even I'll have hot, the hot aisle will be at 45 degrees, and the cold aisle will be at 25 or 30. You know, it's, yeah. that's the kind of thing. Then so are you seeing more and more, and they've got to be bigger? Is that right? What, the number of data centers? Yeah. yeah, so we are seeing an increasing number. Look, people aren't destroying data centers. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no doubt about that. And um, I think this gets down to, you know, yes, we're building data centers. We're building hotter data centers. You know, interesting ways of doing it. Just to come back to the kit thing, I'll move on. My favorite thing was when we started to do this, we realized that there was a kind of a semi-standard for front-to-back cooling for kits. You put it in a rack, sucks cold air in the front, puts it in the back. And in fact, we found that dribbling air past it rather than pumping it past it's better and all that kind of stuff. But certain manufacturers like to pull from right to left, which made no sense. But typically, they were network manufacturers, because in the old telco world, you didn't pull front to back, because the front had all the plugs and stuff yeah. on it. So you pulled left to right, or right to left, depending on who you're buying it from. And so 
it was a nightmare. So now we've got to the point where things are actually standardizing, at least on pulling front to back in racks. But you know, that's another yeah. example of you know, how you get efficiency in data centers. Amount of stuff, yeah, 100% agree. And I think that's where we need to start looking at what we're putting in the cloud and why. And maybe there's an ethical element to that. You know, the horrendous one, and I, I'm not kidding, this is just horrible, is Bitcoin. Bitcoin is possibly the most morally wrong piece of software running we've got today because basically the way that Bitcoin works is it works on proof of work. So you have to prove that you've done so much compute work to be able to essentially generate and then own parts of Bitcoin. It's just a simple way, layman's way to explain it. Mm. No doubt there'll be a load of people in comments connecting on that one. <laughs> but just to give you an idea, right? One single transaction, so one Bitcoin transaction uses 688 kilowatt hours. Now to put that into context, my house at home, if I don't plug my cars in, uses about 12 to 13 kilowatt hours a day. And they right. use 688. Wow. Even a US household, which is by far the worst of the world, that's enough to power one US household for 23 days for one Bitcoin transaction, wow. right? The total carbon footprint of just Bitcoin, right, on an annualized basis is the same as the carbon footprint of Denmark as a whole country, right? For the price of doing one Bitcoin transaction, you can do 817,000 Visa transactions. So to your point, yes, we're getting more data centers, but I think we need to start thinking a little bit more intelligently about what it is we're doing in those data centers and what we're using them for. Now, there's always an argument when we started to look at this metric around data center usage, we started to talk at this thing called useful work because we were trying to work out, well, how much of that energy is actually being used on a processor to do stuff? Because obviously there's losses in the data. And then we got to this whole ethical dilemma of what's useful work. Now, you would not argue that obviously cancer research is useful work, but is hosting a particularly dodgy website, is that useful work? You know, might be by some people because it's generating revenue for someone to live, yeah, even though it's absolutely. a dodgy, you know, yeah. how do you look at that? And then there's the whole video conferencing versus flight, all these other things. And there's the mass weight is in favor of putting stuff in the cloud. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, there's no argument about a lot of things. But then there's always these outliers like the Bitcoins and, and the porn websites and other stuff that people come up and go, well, that's, you know, should we be doing that with this resource? Should we be using this limited resource that we have, you know, in terms of all these things we're putting into making the cloud? Should we be doing that with them? So it's a good question so, to ask. And, but also, we shouldn't be trying to navigate to where the tipping point is. That's frightening. So we need to look at cheaper and more sustainable ways to store data. Mm. We need to look at cheaper and more sustainable ways to compute. The Apollo 11 podcast, if you listen to that one, it's called 30 Minutes to the Moon or whatever. It was done uh, by the BBC. Fascinating. One of the episodes, I think it's episode four, is all about the computers used to get to the moon. Apollo changed our industry from men standing showing you how big their computer was, and they had the biggest computer, and it was whose computer filled the most rooms. Mm to the Apollo mission was who could build the smallest computer, who could build the most efficient computer. And that drive, if we hadn't even had that step, I can't imagine what we'd be like today. Yeah, right? imagine, yeah. So, you know, those kind of things. So I think we need to start again celebrating efficiency, celebrating sustainability, celebrating the fact that someone's done something in the best way as opposed to the fastest or biggest way, I think. And that's a cultural shift, yeah. you know, and that, that's something we've got to do. So it's, it's actually, it's not going away and it's not getting better. No and the challenge and the problems getting larger. I mean, that's pretty daunting, isn't it? And we're just talking about IT. Well, yeah, I mean, estimates onto how much global energy goes into running data centers vary depending on who you read between sort of three and six or 7%, but that's quite a lot. Yeah. And yeah. we didn't have any of that 30 years ago. Yeah, I've, 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 got, I've got down here that ICT, which is apparently not the term anymore. No, it's just, not the term. Just do, do, you know why, do you know why ICT was taken out? Because ICT was mocked 
wildly because schools used to have ICT. Yeah. Okay. And it was mocked by the industry because the people came out of this didn't have any skills. ICT essentially stood for I can type because that was essentially what they were teaching them. That was what ICT training was. Use Word, use PowerPoint, not Brilliant. actually that. So, so I think they stopped calling it ICT and just call it IT. So. Fair one. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so the, I've, I've got down here that the IT industry accounts for about 3.6% yeah. of overall carbon emissions um, and that 45% of that 3.6 is actually data centers. Yeah. So that's forgetting all other aspects, manufacture everything. It's so yeah, <laughs> big challenge. You know, that, that's something to think about. As, you oh, know, uh, and I, I don't think people do think about it. Uh, you know, in terms of the impact of what they do, and I think you'll see more of this. I did. A, I was invited onto a radio show recently, and, and onto a sustainability show. And you know, I, w I went in there to talk about all the stuff I do with my cars and batteries and solar panels. But actually, we started getting onto software because they asked what I did for a job. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, the, the presenters were stunned because they'd never actually understood all the stuff that goes on in data centers. Yeah. And when I started talking about the stats to do with Bitcoin, they were horrified. And then when I started to say, well, you know, have you thought about how much energy is used every time you stream a YouTube video? You thought about that? Have you thought about maybe using a search engine like Ecosia, which you know uses its its revenue to plant trees as opposed to do other things? Those kind of things, I think, we're just starting to get yeah. to the point where people are realizing the impact of their consumption in that context. It's funny you mention that because, of course, Coldplay has said we're not going to tour anymore because of the price of aviation and the sustainability of it. Oh yeah, you don't see them having any issue being on Twitter, Facebook, anything like that. When if you've got a following that huge. That's going to have a huge footprint behind it. Could do, but I think you'd argue that that's probably better than the alternative, which is getting on a plane. Mm. You know, and, and we look at, um, you know, again, at VMware, we offset our travel, obviously, but at the same time, we realize that's not the answer in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a nice thing to do, and it's yeah. the responsible thing to do, and you know, planting trees, et cetera, to offset it. But actually, what we should be doing is just not doing it at all. So we're yeah. actively looking in every possible way and starting a culture of non-travel, you know, so I certainly fly to America a lot less than I used to, which is also very nice. Do you, do you think virtual will be the answer? <laughs> Virtual's always the answer, <laughs> always the answer, you know that. So you've mentioned like a lot less travel and the planting of trees. Um, what are VMware doing beyond their commercial offerings to improve the environment? There's a whole host of stuff. I mean, I've already talked about, you know, the, the general things that we're doing in terms of the SDG 9 goals, but Yes, planting trees, yes, all the other things that are talked about, you know, 100% carbon neutral, 100% renewable energy in terms of what we're doing here, actively promoting where we can sustainable travel. You'll see here the, the office that we're sat in right now, we're actively promoting with free car charging and other ways that we support people in, in getting into more sustainable travel mechanisms, cutting down less travel, you know, just generally trying to do less travel as we do it. But I think there's more. So what we're doing at our, our site in Palo Alto uh, which is our head office, we have solar generation there, but also we have stuff with water reclamation, a whole bunch of other different things. What we're doing there is we're literally going to build that to be entirely off-grid. Okay. So it'll be entirely self-sufficient in terms of what we're doing on our site. But what we've realized is in doing that, we can go beyond that and we can start to supply locally. So we'll actually be positive on what we're doing wow. there, entirely sustainably. But then the more fun thing is, well, it's not fun, but actually our head office there is also a disaster recovery site in California. It's, you know, one of the buildings, Hilltop, is covered with radios because it's, you know, when all else has failed and apocalypse has come, that's where they're going to come and operate the radio stations from. But in a place where there's earthquakes and fires, etc., mm -hmm. a lot. So yeah. we're also going to be a support hub where we'll provide power and water, essentially, in, in the event of emergencies. And so we're looking to see how we can do that. And then we're looking how we can start to take similar actions in, in other places around the world as well and encouraging them. So... There is no limit to what we're empowering our employees to suggest we try and do in terms of changing how we 
how we act sustainably and you know little things like going down to marketing and saying can you stop buying plastic things to hand out to people can we find other ways to do that yeah. if you visit our briefing center downstairs we try to do a lot of our briefings virtually over zoom but actually we still have things where people come into the site but if you come to the site everyone who comes here the, the name badge that they get actually is a seed in it you go and take that away and plant it and we encourage everyone who comes to plant a tree uh, to remember their time at the vmware briefing center and i'm not sure that everyone's going to sit there in 30 years time ago i can remember my four-hour meeting in stains but at least, you know, it's something. And so, we, you know, it's, it's every little way we so can positive. find some small way of doing something that's positive in that way. VMworld is huge for us. Obviously, you know, VMworld is a big conference. Conference is incredibly huge environmental impact. Obviously, all the people flying in. So we offset all of that for a start. But at the same time, we look at how we can be more sustainable each time better in what we're doing at VMworld. So you don't all get magic free gifts. You get free gifts if you want to, but we give people the option. So no, you don't have to take the bag. You don't have to take the jacket. You don't have to take whatever. We look at what we're doing with the food. We look at what we're doing with the, you know, literally down to the cutlery. We had no plastic bottles this year, for example. And, you know, all those things are things that cost to do. They cost time. They cost money. But no one argues them because we know it's the right thing to do. Yeah. That's the important thing. And that's what I'd probably, you know, I'm most enthusiastic about, about working here for this company is that that's what we do. It's just normal. Yeah. You know, if someone said, let's do the most sustainable thing, no one's going to sit in the meeting and go, that might cost. Everyone says, yeah, okay, fine. Next one. So what we're taking away from that message, if Coldplay does want somewhere to play VMworld next year, they're very much welcome and they will be offset. So Yeah, we will. We'll, we'll make sure we get them there in a sustainable way. Perfect. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> And uh, so forward to that, uh, <laughs> that gig. <laughs> and for a company that's listening now and just thinking, I'm absolutely inspired by this, I <laughs> need to change the way that our company works right now. What are the key initiatives that you would say just every company needs to take on right now? No questions asked. Well, I think you've got to, if you're inspired by listening to what we talked about, that's the first thing. Definitely, that's, that's a good start. I think you've got to want to do it. Okay, I think doing it for the purposes of virtue signaling or CSR, corporate social, you know, that, that's just wrong. Okay, it's like you know, buying an electric car because you think it's the right thing to do so you can drive it and feel smug, but actually in the, you're doing 100 million and one other things. You've got to want to do it for the right reasons. I think once you then realize that as a company, doing the right thing by sustainability, doing the right thing by the environment, doing the right thing by you know, the planet, I suppose, is um, it's incredibly inspiring and uplifting for the company and for the employees. You'll find it helps with retention. You'll find people actually want to come and work for your company because of, you know, I've got graduates queuing up because of the image of the company, because yeah. they know they can make a difference. Mm. You know, those are the kind of things that matter. People talk about skills gaps, they talk about retention problems, they talk about staff. The, but it comes down to one, one very simple thing. It's like literally the ability to wake up in the morning and sit there and know that what you're doing is doing something at least that's negative, you know, that, that's neutral impact to the planet, and if anything, slightly positive, right? And then you can personally, not so you can go and tell everyone at parties that you're really cool and amazing, but that literally that you and yourself can feel happy about that. And so when you're looking at other companies, you know, how do you do that, right? Well, obviously you can't change your own company overnight. It's not going to happen, but you can right. start initiatives, and there's you know, long, long lists of those how you do that. But start in how you're procuring stuff. Right? That company you talk to next, ask them what their sustainability stance is. Correct. Ask them for their cloud. Is it, every, is it renewable? What's the carbon impact of me using your cloud? If I come and buy computers from you, how are you going to ship those computers to me? Where do those computers come from? What's your company's sustainability? How are you tying? Start questioning your supply chain. Start driving down and saying, are we being as sustainable as possible in our supply chain? Because that's how you'll affect change. Because what you're actually doing then is you are using your money 
to change other people. And that's what you do, right? The only way you'll affect, people often come to me and say, you know, can you change this, can you change that? It's like, well, actually, I'm not giving that person any money, so they're not gonna listen to me. But if you're choosing whether you give someone their money or, you give, or someone else their money, based on that decision criteria, worlds will change. And I think that's what's happening. We start, some of that has happened through regulation. Some of that has happened through, you know, various statutory law that's being put in, but ultimately, people have to want and will to change. You see it happen, right? You know, People are stopping buying plastic, you know, things in plastic bottles. People, you know, but we had to start forcing people to stop using plastic bags, which arguably hasn't really worked. But, you know, there's all those things, there's, there's different bits and pieces, but you have to chase it in your actions. Agreed, wholeheartedly. So I think we're going to have to get an edge towards wrapping this up. Is there anything you guys would like to add? I mean, it's been hugely insightful <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, pretty scary. Uh, <laughs> listening to the way the world is going to... Well, it is, but it is, it is. And um, when you look at these kind of sustainability right now at the, at the top, you know, you look at the US and, you know, Trump and he was just like so anti. And then you've got this little girl, Greta, who's just pretty much punched him in the stomach mm. with the reality. And what Joe was saying earlier about the grads, this generation, this next generation, don't care about your share price. Yeah. They want to work for somebody who is thoughtful to the environment, number one. And, and has an agenda and they'll be bringing it if it's not there but if you want to recruit people in the future this is a standard yeah it's not you know it's not even oh we're flashy because we do this it's a standard they, they will just see it as the norm I think um, it, it's it's a definite revolution and uh, we're, 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 you know, I'm a hypocrite to a, to a certain degree. I've got a plastic bottle just sat here because, <laughs> because I was, you know, had disorganized. It was in my kit bag and I, you know, I didn't bring that back. My point being is if you don't try and it's not, we're going to solve it overnight, you know, just like in life, you know, you just go, that's, that's the first problem I'm going to fix. Let's do that. Then the next, then the next. If you don't talk about it, plan it and actually execute, you know, and it does come from leadership. I see a whole ton talk about sport, I do pitches on sport and leadership. I see in business a lack of leadership. Right. Plenty of people doing stuff, <laughs> but nobody making any decisions. And what, you know, sustainability is about making a decision, so leadership, and then executing on it. Um, and that's the difference, really. We can fluff around it and talk about it, and it's all, you know, this has got to happen, but you need to see those you know, outcomes. Yeah, I think we, re you know, we, we realize that you're not going to get there in one step, right? You're not going to get there in 10 steps. But what you've got to do is just make sure that every step you take is going in the right direction. That's, that's the simple point. And the other thing I think, we hear this stuff, that you'll hear this marketing around save the planet, right? I'm a physicist, scientist, if you want to describe me. So I take a slightly longer view on things, and I agree with Brian Cox, the planet will still be here. It's, the, oh, yeah. it's, it's all the life on it that will go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, how yeah. fast do you want that cycle to accelerate? You only have to look at somewhere like Australia right now. That's why it's important to me that I know that I'm doing as much as I possibly can in my personal life and in my professional life for me to be able to hold my own head up high at myself when I look in the mirror. Not anyone else, mm. granted to my children, yeah. but actually, you know, when I look at the mirror myself, I know that I've you know, done the best I can at the moment. So long way to go, exciting. I think we're all trying to reflect is, is that, you know, sustainability, you know, sat down with DEFRA and somebody sort of said, can we just redefine what sustainability means? I'm like, wow, we're still, <laughs> we're still at this point. It was a good point and it was, it was very valid, right? As a group, we need to work out what are we saying sustainability is. Yeah. Um, but I was still a bit horrified thinking, God, are we at this point, like writing it down at the start? 
Um, it will, if it makes sense to the environment, it will be economically better off. And then, you know, just the social impact, the whole loop, it, it ticks all the boxes. So crack on, <laughs> or you're going to miss out. So on that apocalyptic, but I think positive note, I yes. think we should probably wrap up. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining us. It's Welcome. been absolutely brilliant. Um, if anyone would like to reach out to you, what's the best method of you? You've got Twitters and yeah, yeah on Twitter. Twitter and LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn. Uh, so, what would be your handles? What does that mean? Uh, what, what, <laughs> what's your what's username on Twitter? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> My handles is a grifter or a BMX. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at Andy Gomeso, it's very simple. Yeah, yeah. And I'm at Joe Bagley if you can spell it. Yeah. That's brilliant. And if you want to follow Cloud Insiders, you can find us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders, and you can also find us on LinkedIn. All episodes are available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. And you can also get them all at cloudinsiders.fm. If you'd like to reach out to us or have any ideas for future episodes, you can email team at cloudinsiders.fm. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. And okay. uh, until next time, goodbye. Okay.